The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Well, hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 14 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover. Hello, Fiona and Jen. And Jen Robertson. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Good to be with you both. Uh, Now, at time of recording, we are still sort of in the summer hiatus. So we only have one email this week. um, But as summer turns to autumn, I would like to just remind you listeners that we would love to hear from you. You can give us feedback, ask us questions, take issue with our opinions or simply tell us what you're up to by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Meantime, the Reverend Julie H. C. Moody I'd like to say I've known Julie for about 25 years and I still don't know what the HC stands for. Anyway, the Reverend Julie H.C. Moody. You could do what you normally do, Fiona, when you don't know a name. Just take a punt. For <laughs> listeners do not know this, that when um, Fiona doesn't know your name, if you're a woman, she'll guess it Lisa. And if you're a guy, she'll guess it Gary. That is not true. It just so happens that I did that earlier on today. Thanks, Lisa just, Gary. I just saying, if any of you happen to know Fiona, just watch for that. <laughs> Anyway, Julie H.C. Moody, or Julie Moody, as I know her, of Milton of Campsie Parish writes, Hi folks, I'm enjoying the Acts exploration. Thank you. And she then goes on to talk about podcasts, other podcasts that she listens to. She says, I'm listening to At The Table and Working Genius podcasts. They have really changed the way I think about leadership and using our gifts in the church slash SU camp teams slash family life. Both are hosted by Patrick Lencioni and well worth a listen. Keep going. Every blessing, Julie. So I would just like to say, Julie, thank you very much for staying in touch. And please do get in touch again to tell us what the HC stands for. And uh, thanks for those recommendations um, for people to listen to. I found a new podcast. Oh, go on. I think you'd heard of it. Had you heard of it, Jen? Recast. I, I don't know what it is. Oh, Recast. It's the one that was. The, no, it's the we did discuss it beforehand. <laughs> it's the one that Glenn and it's it's we're Lisa. not mind readers, Neil. We're not mind readers. Glenn and Lisa. She is called Lisa, isn't she? She from, is called Lisa. Yeah, Glenn and Lisa from the Baptist Union. They do one for Baptists, but I listened to it. There was nothing specifically Baptist about it. Um, <laughs> this is the one I listened to. They were interviewing Adam from International Justice Mission. She yeah. was great. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Big shout out to her. I don't know if she listens. If you do, I don't. Hi. Uh, that's Recast, isn't it? I, I was going to call it Migcast. I think it originally was called Migcast, which was some sort of mission in, mission in groups. I, I think podcast, Recast is a great name for a podcast. I think Recast is a good name, yeah. Works yeah. on about four levels. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. as good as Outspoken Bible, but you know. No. No. <laughs> Although I was at, I met someone recently. Um, I mentioned, I don't know, your name came up, Fiona. And uh, they said... Um, oh, I really, really love that podcast that she does. And I was getting ready for them to say Outspoken Bible, and then they said Hollow and Substantial. <laughs> Which is really on a hiatus. Fiona and I need to have a conversation about that because we've not done an episode for ages. Anyway, get in touch, well, I, I tried, I, I covered. I was like, oh, it's great, isn't it? I was inside, I was like, what? You were dying inside. <laughs> I do love that too. <laughs> Anyway, before we get into any of that, here's a quick reminder of a couple of projects that SBS have got on the go that you might find useful. First one is Bible for Bibles for Bairns, which is all about sharing the Bible with Scotland's under fives. Children registered by parents and carers for Bibles for Bairns will receive a share a story Bible on their first birthday, a birthday card and some resources on their second, third and fourth birthdays, and a children's Bible when they turn five. Amazing. Just an absolutely brilliant project. Jen, you're really involved in that. I know it's just I think it's a fantastic thing. Now, um there are three If you should different- probably say yeah. if you want to we shout out to the Australia the Bible Society of Australia, 
where it originated uh-huh. and the Northern Irish Bible Society or the oh, Bible cool. Society in Northern Ireland because they've been doing it for a couple of years and they, they've given us lots of help and it's their inspiration. Yeah. That's great. What do they I mean, call it? Because they obviously don't uh, call it bears. Bibles for bubs in Australia uh, uh-huh. and Bibles for babbies in Northern Ireland. Oh, very good. I like that idea of just <laughs> sort of tweaking it each time. It's very good. Um, now, there are three ways, listeners, that you can get involved. The first is that you can obviously pray for this project. Um, there was a survey carried out by the Bible Society in England and Wales that revealed that three in ten children don't know that the story of Jesus' birth comes from the Bible. And I'm sure we could come up with lots of other um kind of slightly horrifying statistics about about the kind of lack of, of uh, knowledge and, and awareness of the Bible. So sharing the Bible with this age group will help Scotland's children to discover Jesus for themselves. I feel like I'm sounding like an advert. I'm not trying to. I just think it genuinely is a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a voice. You're not being, it's not like uh, yeah, other podcasts where the... Yeah. the what was it? The, there's yes, one those, those, hidden, those hidden adverts. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, the, there's one where um, I listen to the two presenters talk about their favourite investment tools. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like they're the least invested type of people you can imagine. I know. It's like the news agents, isn't it, when they talk about BT for business or whatever it is, and you think, yeah, I don't think any of you have any clue what that is. Um, and it's very, a very holistic project as well because reading with small children, adults and children reading together is so important for development and emotional security and all these things so let's read the bible even better absolutely absolutely so first thing you can do is you can pray for it second thing is you can give to the project so obviously if obviously all the resources and admin of of running this takes money and you can give to that project via the sbs website and thirdly if you've had a baby in 2023 is that right Yes. or you're expecting a baby, um, or you know somebody who is, then you can register them for the scheme. Obviously, if you're not the parent or carer, then you will have to get permission to do it, but keep your ears and eyes open for more information about how you can support it and uh, sign up later in the year. And that's at scottishbiblesociety.org forward slash support us, forward slash appeals, forward slash Bibles for Bairns. But if you just go onto the SBS website and put in Bibles for Bairns, you will get more information. I, I don't quote addresses anymore. Tell people how to find it on a search engine. It's Thanks, Neil. What's wrong with that? You just undermined advice. my last two minutes of. <laughs> Secondly, another reminder is that the community Bible experience resources are available to download from the Bible Society, Scottish Bible Society website. You can get those on the shop. And these are the resources that go along with the love, death, and resurrection New Testaments that we've been talking about. They're ideal for using with a small group. Now, you have to pay. F- <laughs> I've written in my script, you have to pay for coins of love, death and resurrection. I think I mean you have to pay for copies of love, death and resurrections. Um, But the community Bible experience resources are available as a free download. So you can find all of that again on the SBS website. Right, that is it for advertising and sponsorship today. That's the intimations. Yeah, that's the intimations. It is time for Glover's Others. Now, we have heard about Bilha, Jethro, Aaron, Balaam, Joshua, Rahab, Jethro's daughter, Pamoni Amoni, Obed-Edom, Hagar, the three allies of David, and most recently, there was a passage from Isaiah to catch yeah. us off guard a little bit. I think I know what the link is, but I'm not going to give that away. So, Neil, without further ado... Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Put us out of our misery. So this week, it's Amos. Now you might be thinking, Amos is a book of the Bible. We all know about Amos. He's not a B-list character. I think he is. Because years ago, I was doing some research into Amos and how Amos was used. 
by development agencies because there's a, Amos is famously a prophet who cries out about justice. And I asked a couple of development agencies, Christian development agencies, if I could tour around their office because I expected to see loads of posters on the wall quoting Amos. To my great shock, he was not there. I could not find... Well, I eventually found one very old Bible study booklet lying in the bottom of a filing cabinet about Amos. Apart from that, he was nowhere. I was really stunned. There's loads of stuff about being like Boaz and the harvesters. There's quite a lot about Micah. Is it Micah 8, 6? 6, 8. Uh, 6, 8. Act justly. Yes. Um, There was loads of that. Uh, Life in all its fullness, but no Amos. You'd have thought he was there in kind of development, uh, justice, um, kind of oriented to Christian organisations. But I think the reason is he is pretty dark. Um, Here's a verse, Amos 3, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs, in other words, someone's gone into a lion and the shepherd can only get two legs back out, or a piece of an ear, it's pretty grotesque, so shall the people of Israel who live in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Or this horror story, Isaiah, Amos 5, 18. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone ran away from a lion, then was met by a bear, then went into a house, rested their hand against a wall and got bitten by a snake. It's not the day of the Lord, darkness. No wonder nobody's sticking that on the wall of their aid agency. <laughs> or um, this one is really bleak. This feels like a line from a, 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 a movie. In one of those, one of those dark movies, you know, <laughs> that, that people watch. Um, if ten people remain in one house, they shall die. And if a relative, one who burns the dead, shall take up the body to bring it out of the house, you'll say to someone, the innermost parts of the house, is anyone else with you? I mean, this is this does make me think. Maybe up, bits of Schindler's List are a bit like this. Tragically, is anyone else with you? The answer will come, no. Then the relatives shall say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. And for me, eh, the reason that we avoid Amos is he is so dark. He is so brutally dark. And I don't want to explain that away, but but simply to observe that that then sets up what comes at the end of the book, where there is this great moment of hope. And there's almost the hope is all the more because it's thrown into sharp relief with, with this darkness. And it's a beautiful bit. The time is surely coming, he says in Amos 9, when the one who ploughs shall overtake the one who reaps. And I love that idea that the reaping has taken so long because there's so much harvest that all the way through, I don't know what the seasons would be then, but you know, all the way through from October, all the way through to March, people have been reaping because it's just taken them so long. And then the plower is able to catch up with them in March. And that's a picture of abundance. And for me, Amos says, that uh, you get to the the hope only by absolutely plumbing the depths. And it's in that context that I think I want to read Amos's probably most famous verse, which is Amos 5, verse 24. Let justice roll down like Mm -hmm. waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Thank you, Neil. That's confirmed what I think is the link. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we are still looking for a link from the last four, I think. Is that right? It's it's Hagar. It's the three guys who who got the water from the well um, and a couple of others. The surprise till the half hour 
car journey with Elaine. Well, that was for the last one. Get so to sit in the back with Andrew Robertson <laughs> in the front. <laughs> we need a we need another prize. We do. Yeah. You can have a think about that. It should be theme related. Yes. Ooh. Themed. Pro- Ooh. Yes. I was going to suggest think of a few things, but, but it's going to that yes. would give it away. It's going to give it away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, the uh, conversational lines are open, friends. If you want to take a guess at what the what the link is with those last four. Um, of the B-list characters. Thank you for that, Neil. Now, last time we were talking about the dramatic, game-changing conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And this time, we're back in the company of our old friend, Peter. Haven't heard about him for a while, actually. Uh, we're reading from Yeah, he's disappeared. We're reading from Acts chapter 9, verse 32, right through to Acts 11, verse 18. So now's a good time to pause the podcast and read or listen to those verses if you want a refresher before we start. And of course, as ever... There's a link in the show notes to the Bible Gateway page. Now, I mentioned there that uh, we've not heard of Peter for a while. The last time we had anything to do with him was in Acts 5. So that was the Ananias and Sapphira story. It was quite the kind of brutal story that we talked about previously. Um, but we begin with this phrase about as Peter travelled about the country. So you get the, the, the um, sense that this is something that, that he's been doing hmm. from those Jerusalem days. Mm. Um, and presumably it's normal. What we're about to read about is is normal experience. Is that right, do you think? That he's mm. experiencing people and there's healing and resurrection? Or is this unusual? I love the contrast with what we've just read. So this dramatic conversion of Saul on a road. It feels like a big dramatic moment. Not that there's not big dramatic moments in these first uh, verses of chapter 10, but it, it just seems a bit more normal. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's Peter, he's travelling about, he's doing his thing, he's visiting the Lord's people, and he and he meets people mm-hmm. who are struggling. He meets, he, how do you say that? Aeneas. Aeneas. Is it? Aeneas? Aeneas. Anyway, it doesn't matter, just say it with confidence. Yes. Um, you know who you should ask? There's a, there's a friend of yours, Jen, who I know you know, is a, a guy called Chris McIntosh. His dad was called that name. So you should his ask His dad him. was Aeneas. Yes. Aeneas. Yeah. I will speak to Chris McIntosh. Come back, report back next time, please. Oh, well, anyway, it just seems we've gone from this big momentous event to to normal people. Not the mm. normal things are happening to them yes. because Aeneas has been healed after eight years. But then there's Tabitha. Oh, it's just beautiful, isn't it? She was doing good and helping poor people. Just like, you know, like most most people who follow Jesus are just mm-hmm. getting on with it and doing mm-hmm. your stuff. And, um, and, and that moment where the... They're mourning her, and the widows are showing Peter. I know. Look, mm. look what she did. Yes. And that's what that's what we do when people die, isn't it? We say, we don't always say, look what they did, but we talk about what they did and what their lives have been. And so their legacy. It's just like this is this is the real life of the followers in a wee just a wee moment before we have another big momentous uh-huh. happening. Uh-huh. I mean, interesting enough of... on the funeral oh, thing. I actually was at a funeral this year where. The, the the person had been quite a creative kind of person, so she'd been musical and she'd also she'd also kind of done crafty things. And actually, as part of the service, they had a little display mm. of some of the things that she'd done. Nice. And you were invited at the end if you wanted to go and have a look at the things. Which I thought mm. was lovely. Yeah. Oh, quite, that, quite they tangible. Still live on. Yeah, 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 it was lovely. Yeah. Uh-huh. The yeah. cafe in the middle of Glasgow Royal Infirmary is that the that's the hospital up in the East End. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The cafe you could see it from where I am. Oh, is that right? Oh. Uh, the cafe. In the middle. I can't see it. I actually can't see it. Can I just say? But Very it's, close. Yeah. It's in, close these, really. in these secularized times, this would never be allowed. But um, oh, I'm sounding quite oh, angry there. Um, I'm really not. But uh, yeah, the the cafe in the middle of the hospital was called the Dorcas Cafe. Oh, right. mm, yeah, pretty sure. Or the shop. One of the two. 
Maybe uh-huh. somebody remembers it, but it's definitely called Dorcas. Pretty sure. My mum trained as a nurse at the Royal Infirmary. Oh. She might know about the Dorcas. I don't know if the Dorcas Cafe was there that long ago. If Maybe any listener remembers the Dorcas Cafe, <laughs> I love the fact she was celebrated. Like yes, that. yes, and that 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 aspect of it was celebrated. Yeah. Um, can we can we talk about the? I mean, I'm assuming here that that Peter is well, well, or the reason that that Luke has included some of this mm-hmm. is is that it's an illustration, isn't it, of how Peter has watched Jesus. And how he operates, because the parallels are there, aren't they? So, I mean, the, the first one is mm-hmm. is word to is word word by word, nearly, isn't it? Um, get up, roll up your mat, um, and and then the and the, it's reminds you of the of the girl, the twelve year old girl that Jesus healed. It's very similar to that. Go out of the room, praying, taking her hand. I thought both of them were hugely and even the resonant wording. with Jesus. Yeah, even the, yeah. the yeah. wording yeah. if he'd used her name, Tabitha. Yes, because in a, it actually quotes it in the in the gospel. It says Talitha cum, uh-huh. so Talitha get uh-huh. up. So he would have said Tabitha cum. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And also that these people's, it's their transformed lives mm. that bring other people uh, to follow Jesus. You know, everybody who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him. They turned to the Lord, and then again, many people believed after. Um, Dorcas had been raised from the dead, and and sorry, I'm going to go back to these the couple I spent the time with in the last podcast. I just had the weekend with the folk from the Middle East, but they were saying like 82 percent of people they know who start to follow Jesus is because of a transformation. It's it's not because of a either they've met someone whose life's been transformed by Jesus, or they've had a transformation physically or emotionally, an encounter with Jesus. And it it just resonates out of these pages, doesn't it? That that mm-hmm. that's what's making the difference. Mm-hmm. Transformed lives, the visible transformed lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it just reminds me of what you said in the last podcast, Jane, about how God is at work in the Middle East at the yeah. moment in incredibly Absolutely. powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so this this is taking place in in Joppa, which to my childhood self, I would just like to say that's not near Musselburgh. <laughs> <laughs> which is what i used to think that's I mean, you're not you're not a glasgow near, girl Fiona. No, it is near musselburgh <laughs> but it's not that joppa that, that simon peter went to um so but joppa is on the sea yeah um do we know much about simon the tanner i was wondering if you either of you had been to his house you two of Middle <laughs> i certainly houses. haven't no i've not 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 to my knowledge did you you've been to one of the houses though haven't you no, it's Straight Street. I've been to Straight Street. You've been to Straight Street. You can go to this house as well, though, I think. Oh, really? Can, can you? I think. Yeah. I thought it was one of you two that told me. But that. again, no. it's just, I, I love, Luke is a brilliant storyteller, mm. isn't he? He's mm-hmm. wee details. I mean, we'll come later on, uh, you know, um, he lived by the sea. Yeah. Or, Pe- or Peter was at the sea. His house is by the sea. Yes. <laughs> yes. When the angel comes to talk to Cornelius, his, his house is by the sea. It's just that yes. lovely view. But also this... It, he stays with Simon, a man who worked with leather. So I'm reading the New International Reader's version, Fiona. Um, but, you know, we didn't need to know that. But it, it, the Bible isn't always descriptive in that way. But uh-huh. Luke is the one who maybe gets us, gets closer to gets our details. normal reading yes. that we're yes. used to in other books. Wait until we get to the sea journey. Oh, yes. Full of this stuff. <laughs> What the sea, the, the shipwreck, the, the, the one shipwreck. at the very end, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. I've been doing some thinking about that this week, so I've got a lot to say on that topic. <laughs> um, the other thing I, I would just throw in as well as for Luke as a storyteller, I think the way he constructs the narrative mm. in chapter ten is very mm. good, 
I like that you have, oh, you've got a little bit of Caesarea and uh, Cornelius and what happens to him. Mm. Meanwhile, at the same time, <laughs> or the following yeah. day, while they're on their way, you know, so he really does tell it, as, you know, mm-hmm. he, he jumps he jumps scene to scene, doesn't he? He jumps back and forward with the different protagonists within the story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we have this centurion. I was thinking there are three great centurions in the New Testament. Yes. Him, Cornelius, that we're coming to. The one whose servant got healed. Does he have a name? I don't think he has a name, does he? Mm, not sure. And then the one who sits at the foot of Jesus and says, surely this was the son of God. At the cross. At the cross. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Um, just like the idea that there's, there's three What about the, the one on the, the shipwreck, though? Oh, yes. And he's all right because he kind of listens to Paul, doesn't he? Well, he's a bit of a, yeah, he changes his opinion, doesn't he? I did read that Caesarea was a very significant place for the Roman mm, Empire. Yeah. So for their trade in, like, crops, etc., etc., yes. like get, getting wheat across places, it was, it was a very important place to be put as a, a Roman commander. You, mm. it, it wasn't like he was put there because he was rubbish, needed to get him out of the way. This was uh, a, He yeah. was a really good uh, centurion. Uh-huh. You know, experienced, qualified. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There he was in, in that community, and he'd, he'd become part of the worshipping Yes. Jewish community, yes. presumably. Um, and am I right in saying that Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi is where... Is that the same? Is, is Caesarea no, that's Philippi a, that's the same place. as this? It's it a different place. Oh, I suppose there's a lot of in, places called Caesarea. That's inland, I think. Okay, thank you. That's yeah. very helpful. I won't go on I think on we might have question. to check that. <laughs> no, but if I you call a place right. after Caesar, chances are yeah. uh-huh. it's no, you're, you're not going to call some run-down hamlet after Caesar, are you? No, that's true. That's true. So he's yeah. So he's not just sort of sitting at his time in a backwater. No. He's, he's no, and, and he's he's role. good. I like the fact that he, you know, we're, we're slightly jumping ahead, but he's praying. He's told that his prayers have ascended before God. He's given these really specific instructions. I mean, I, I really, I mean, it's like uh, it's like GPS, isn't it? It's just you know, t- <laughs> telling you where to go. And then he tells his his staff. You know, he's got two slaves he confides yeah. in. He's got his staff. He's he's clearly good at. He's good with people, isn't he? And and you get that sense later on as well in the chapter where oh, yeah. when they, when Peter gets there, there's a whole lot of people gathered to listen. <laughs> it's like when when Cornelius gives you an invite, yeah, I'll come around. Yeah, come along to that one. He was what this guy's got to say. And so, can we just can I just clarify what it means when it? So in my NIV, Jen, it says in verse two, he was devout. He and his family were devout and God fearing. So that means he would be a a, a, a proselyte towards. Judaism, is that right? Not quite as much as that, I okay. don't think. So proselyte would normally imply that you kept the Jewish food laws and that possibly even that you had been circumcised if you were a man. I think it okay. I think it means that far. Okay. Um so he's not he's interested and and in fact, probably some people have speculated that, that for example, having to be circumcised was such a barrier that mm. that some people didn't go in. Obviously that we don't know that about Cornelius. Okay. But but there seems to be some kind of intermediate state doesn't there isn't yeah, there? but he's not just loosely believing is he no he's no worshiping it, yeah he's he's giving to people in need mm. he's praying mm-hmm. this is a whole life his, his life sounds like his life's given over to god mm. mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. but he is nonetheless a gentile yes and that's which critical. is the point isn't yeah. it yeah which is the, so the he's, critical point he's eating food um which is prescribed in the jewish not allowed in the jewish torah yeah and he has this vision, and he sends his, his soldiers off to find this house by the sea. Yeah. Uh, sends them off to Joppa. And meanwhile, 
at noon the next day. Yes, <laughs> just as they're arriving. It's just as they're arriving. I mean, God, God is like the ultimate director here, isn't God? Yes. You know, right? Well, just now the vision. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> and it's God creating the drama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love that both these men are praying. Mm-hmm. I, I've just finished Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray for Ordinary People. I'm a very ordinary person. I've, I, I, I think I should have read this book a, a long time ago, well, when he wrote it, which was a few years ago. But um, I think Pete Gregg is very accessible and he make, he's really helped me to pray, pray, normalise prayer, really, rather than trying too hard. Nothing in the book made me feel bad about not praying well enough. Um, so it, it's really changed how I talk to Jesus. I just talk to Jesus much more and listen to him and reflect in the Bible more. And anyway, if you haven't read it, read it. But the point is, these these um, praying these both these men were were praying. It wasn't like God just appeared out in no context. The angel came. The vision happened because praying was what they did every day, connecting with God, listening for God, um, and I. Well, for me, that that that's a, an extra challenge after reading Pete Gregg's book. Um, there's a confirmation. That's what I need to be doing. I need to be spending more and more time listening. And it's a form of prayer which feels quite conversational. And and maybe mm. I I think personally, I've maybe lost a wee bit of that recently in my own prayer life. And I was just I was talking to my spiritual director this morning, and there's something I'm really I was really struggling with, and he said. I think you need to go and talk to Jesus about that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, he didn't tell me what to think. And he actually said, he, he was very specific. He said, go down the river and talk to Jesus about that. He said, even mm-hmm. stick your feet in the water as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that idea. Um, actually told me to go and do it immediately afterwards. And I didn't, I responded to emails. So I'm going to have to go and do it <laughs> earlier. But it's like the fact, Peter said, I'm going to go upstairs to pray. There's something very intentional about mm-hmm. creating that space. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I I think I don't know if it's just I've heard sermons on this where verse ten you know says it became hungry and wanted something to eat. That 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 is almost used as a almost a justification for what then happens. Mm. You know, and almost a, almost a lessening of what happens because well he's obviously hungry and he's obviously hot. He's up on the roof and it's noon and and he's hallucinating. Yes, and I, I, I'm 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 certainly not through sat through sermons where anybody's actually made that link and said it outright, but. I think it. I think it lessens the visions if you if you think about it in those terms, doesn't it? I think it. I think it heightens the sense that even though he's hungry, he's saying absolutely not. I'm going to right. eat. Yeah, so, so I that's think good, it, Neil. That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Although, Sorry, but... I didn't mean that so patronising. <laughs> <laughs> I was genuinely. No, I was genuinely affirmed. <laughs> but it, it's 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 the vehemence. Even though I'm hungry, I'm not going to eat it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's true. And, and but I also I like I really like it because it's just normal. That's, uh, what, that's uh-huh. what happens to me when I go to pray. I was like, oh, yes. I actually need to eat something. It seems that Peter's got somebody else to prepare his meals though, because uh, he became hungry. He had wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, Peter had a vision. Now, if that like, in my house, yes. I'd have to go and make the food. So is that I not because like, he's staying at somebody else's though? Yeah, was oh, that what it is? He just shouted down, "Hey!" <laughs> you I like you to think prepare. Simon the Tanner though. I think he'd yeah. do a good barbecue. <laughs> Yeah, the the off There'd be a lot of meat. Yeah, and of course that's an I think that's an unclean profession as well, isn't it? Well, I, that was why I was asking earlier if anybody mm, knew very much about either. him, because I yeah. I wonder about that. Why on earth is Peter staying there if he feels as we as we learn as he feels mm. so strongly about 
keeping those food laws. The, can we also just say that the word for the trance that he goes into? Have we got to the trance yet? Are we allowed to we're, go there? We're just reaching it. Is is ecstasis, which people uh-huh. normally play down, but it's an ecstatic state, and I, I think sometimes people play it down because they're a bit scared of it. Um, but it it literally means ripped out the place where you stand. Wow! And I like that idea that there's something very well your whole being is ripped out of its normal set of moorings here and that i think is going to set us up for mm-hmm. it was it quite like when we talked about um stephen's death at that place he saw heaven open up mm. yeah it was a similar yeah. it's like that whole revelation of mm. a reality being transformed not going to be the same again I wonder, was it the same word? I don't know. That's maybe a bit too much to put on your plate there, Neil, but... <laughs> You're but now, also... Well, no, the, the word for vision, eh, the word for trance is probably not the same, but he also had, there is a word vision as well, isn't there, later on? Mm-hmm. And that word might be the same. It also made me think about what we were talking about last week in terms of Paul, Saul, mm. as was, yeah. you know, seeking God and then encountering God in a way that was a completely revelatory mm. moment for him. Yeah. The glory of God scene. Did I? Did I? Have I talked about disenchantment before? I'm not sure. So the I think the greatest call of the mission of the church is to be agents of reenchantment in a disenchantment, mm. disenchanted oh, world. Hmm. Um, and that's because I think the primary move of secularism is to have evacuated the world of any sense of God and to see all mm. as material. And, and sometimes people refer to that as disenchantment. And it has a double meaning to it. It has that sense both of, um, the, I suppose, the, the spirit has gone from the air, at least by attempt, um, and also disillusionment, disenchanted. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the thing that people are most hungry for is that sense of the presence of God. And before we do any other project, before, and these are important, and before we do any other strategic reorganization the first thing that we have to give our attention to is are our places are our churches places where people say god is in this place Mm. Mm. which is following on from where we ended last time actually Mm. that was very much where we landed last time but the recovery of the of the heart isn't it yeah 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 Yeah. um uh, yes so 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 this this enchantment this vision Mm -hmm. this ecstatic experience happens luke tells us about it twice so he so he describes mm-hmm. it and then peter describes it later on and there's yeah. a significance in that isn't there it's a bit like paul's conversion where yeah. you know we read about it three times that the, there's a reason that it's it's not yeah, just th- this is the... this is a critical story so a bit like paul so we've 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 hit the two turning points in the book of mm-hmm. acts mm-hmm. so the the initial setup is the pentecost story and a and then you've got this turning point, these two turning points, both the conversion of Peter and then the, the Pentecost to the Gentiles. So these are going to serve the great energy of the second part of the book, which makes you then ask the question, well, what's the end point if he's so well structured? And of course, it's the sea journey. We're, we're not going to uh, ruin that for anybody. But when you initially read the sea journey uh, and the shipwreck, it seems a bit of a, well, a bit of a theological anticlimax compared to the other two. It seems a little bit mundane, but I think when we get there, I, I think it also serves a very important purpose mm-hmm. in the book. Mm. And 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 so, so can we talk about what, what he actually sees? Mm. 
what's going on. So he sees this sheet. I, it's unfortunate, I think, that the word sheet is used because I just picture a bed sheet. <laughs> but I was reading something earlier today that said it was probably more like a, a sailcloth. A fitted sheet. <laughs> I do. I picture one of those, you know, possibly bought from Asda. It, 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 you know, but it's, it's more like a sailcloth, isn't it? And the, an enormous mm. piece of fabric, I suppose, that has all of these um, prohibited animals and reptiles and birds on yeah. it. And it's absolutely I, horrifying for Peter. Uh-huh. Now we read it so easily. This is this is what he's always known, what he's always believed, what he's always thought was true, and generations and generations and generations before him have believed this to be true. Mm-hmm. And here's a vision from God, in inverted commas, maybe mm-hmm. he's thinking, that's telling him to do the antithesis of one of the big bases of his faith, his life. Yeah. No wonder he says no way three times. Yeah. Yeah. The, the really incredible thing is that within moments, it feels like, these men are at the gate, are presumably standing at the gate because they're not allowed in because mm-hmm. they're Gentiles, and immediately he welcomes them in. So he's been horrified by this God telling him to change everything that he's held to be right and true, and he acts on it because he knows that's the Holy Spirit speaking to him. It's really, it's, it's really huge. It's a kind of partial act, I think, because he's still got a little bit to go, hasn't he? But mm. um, but the other thing, I feel sorry for him. The voice then says to him, after he says, no way, I'm not going to eat that. He says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Mm. And like, if I was Peter, I'd be like, wait a minute, I wasn't in the meeting when that, when <laughs> that right. happened. That's Don't right. get me into trouble for not That's knowing right. this. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> there are verses in the Bible. And, and you know, uh-huh. the, and I'm, I'm going to leave this open-ended because it does... Um, we would normally say, if you have a vision, check it with the scriptures. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. mm-hmm. if Peter has this vision and he checks it with the scriptures, yes. he's going to invalidate it, isn't he? Yep. So I'm just saying that maxim that we often give, mm-hmm. at least here, doesn't mm-hmm. work. I, I, I still would mm-hmm. say that to people, you know, check it with yes. the Bible. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting to, to note that uh-huh. this is going against the scriptures that uh, yes and, and, and even in terms of how jesus talks about the scriptures right because jesus in the sermon on the mount talks about not one well this it's interesting control, isn't it because uh-huh. jesus says the law still stands but then continues to interpret that law um there's only one he slightly contradicts when in matthew um because he says before it was said to you an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and i tell you not to do that but he mm-hmm. then interprets it another way but the but the bit this does connect with with Jesus is the bit where he says it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean it's what comes out and then there's normally a parenthesis in the gospels where it says in saying this Jesus was declaring all foods clean so maybe the voice is kind of saying you need to get you need to understand something that Jesus said to you a couple of years Uh ago Uh uh-huh that you've not quite got and I had kind of scribbled down that there's there's it's kind of drawing Neil on what you just said about how you interpret a vision from God. I, I like that in this story that there's there's the vision, there's the fact that there's the regularity of prayer, there's a circumstance, you know, because that does play into your sense of of what God is speaking to you. If, you know, if things fall into place, and and there's the very direct voice of the Spirit in all of that. Yes, so, and and not just that; it's the not not just that those things are huge <laughs> things, aren't they? Um, I think the final confirmation, and we're going to come to this in a minute, is the fact that the people are so obviously filled with the Spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is, that's the one that, can I, is it too crude to say, pushes it over the line. It's the one that is seals the, mm-hmm. seals the, 
the fact, and I think later on that's going to be the key piece of evidence mm. for the mm -hmm. for the. And mm -hmm. is that like a second Pentecost? Because it, it reads very like mm. you know. So these are the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and immediately they speak in other languages. Is that fully intended? I mean, I, I mean by God, but also by Luke writing it down that. Yes, I, I think this so. is as significant though. as Pentecost. People call this. People do call this the Gentile Pentecost. Okay. And does it have them speaking in tongues? Yes. Well, it doesn't. Yep. yep. Doesn't what I was reading. Which yeah. Was yeah. They, they yeah. heard them speaking in tongues. That's so. Yeah. People make the link. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting for me is I I had kind of assumed that maybe a few Gentiles had got caught up in the, for example, the the Sumerian mm -hmm. one. But it seems pretty clear that up to this point, it's only Jews who have experienced this. What do we make of what Peter? So Peter Peter goes with them, and he goes to the house, and Cornelius is gathered, you know, all mm. in sundry. Maybe a century of people, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> his, his whole army, yeah. his whole army standing to attention, mm. um, and and so then Peter gives another Peter sermon. Yeah. What do we make of that? I really liked it. I really liked mm. it. I thought it was simple and included all the everything I wanted to hear. That sounds like I'm a cheerleader for a particular way of evangelizing. Which is? Well, I, I, he, he talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus' life. He talks about mm. Jesus' death. He talks about the resurrection. He talks about what that means now. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was quite a clear exposition of mm -hmm. of what's what's going on. It's very succinct, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, that could be to do with how Luke's written it down, but yeah. And he starts, I mean, how he starts is totally relevant for the people he's speaking to. Yes. I now realise how true it is that God treats everyone the same. He yes. accepts people from every nation. He accepts anyone who has respect for him and does what's right. And standing in front of him are all the people that have previously been told they're rejected. Yeah. Yeah. There's something else as well going on there that um, Peter deliberately said they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Mm. Now, the Old Testament law specifically says if you are put to death on a tree, you are cursed. Yeah. And a, the, I think there's an element here that that which previously was thought to be cursed is now a blessing. Mm. And that ties in with the, the with cursing of the, the food and the blessing. And, and are you getting gender. that from verse 39? Because in the NIV, I've got yeah. hanging him on a cross. Really? Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, at 1039. Goodness. Yeah. Tree. It's definitely tree. And and there's a link there because Peter often uses that expression in his letters as well. Uh-huh. It's adding then, into your dislike of the NIV, Neil. Pardon? It's adding into your dislike of the NIV. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I told, <laughs> I've told you once that. I, I'm really careful with that. I, I do struggle with it sometimes. I was told off for it once because people were saying lots of people love the NIV and you're causing them to doubt it. So, But also it's got this expression. Can I just say... Um, he, he talks, he just loves this. He says, Jesus was a man who went about doing good. Uh -huh. I just love that expression. Uh -huh. Which tallies with what we know about Cornelius. He's a man who goes about doing yeah, good. Yeah, just doing he? good. There's uh -huh. a quote about it. Um, Jesus was a man of whom it was said he went about doing good. I fear that it will be said of me, he was a man who went about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's and true. Dorcas went about doing good as well. She did. Yes, that's right. I've only just noticed this as well that when Cornelius, you know, Cornelius tells him the background story. So Luke repeats that bit of the story again. You know, this is what happened to me. Then I sent. Da, da, da. Peter doesn't. So so that that experience he's had on the rooftop, it feels as though that's a quite an intimate thing for him mm. in this context. So that he doesn't mess about with. Oh yes, you don't want to hear what happened to me because I was up on the rooftop mm. and. Actually, mm. he goes straight into, I now realise. Yeah. 
something important about Peter's realization is, is in verse 28, just going back a little bit. You'll recall that the, the vision said the food is unclean mm-hmm. or clean now. And then Peter immediately understands the implications of this. It is not just the food, but the yep. people are now also brought in. So it's uh-huh. almost by implication, if, you, if you've cleaned the food, then you're cleaning the people who eat the food. And so he says to them when he arrives, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. Which is interesting, quotes that seems to be referring to the law there, not just the, te- the the oral tradition. But God has shown me that I should not call any one, not any food, any one profane or unclean. So he's obviously expanding the interpretation of this, not just to include foodstuffs, but also to include people. Mm. So he's mm. thinking, but that would be part of the law, wasn't it? That you yeah. couldn't sit, you couldn't sit at the table mm-hmm. with the people because they had they had taken the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also adds into my little list of things. So you know, when I talked about the, how how we hear from God, there's the vision, there's the prayer, there's the circumstances, the voice of the spirit, there's the the response of of the spiritual response. Neil, you talked about, but there's also I think for for Peter, he's almost making sense of what has happened to him mm-hmm. as he speaks, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he's expanding the interpretation of mm-hmm. the of the of the dream. So mm-hmm. as you said, Jen earlier, you know, he now realizes that the dream means. It's not just about the food. It means I've 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 got to go into this house that I wouldn't have gone into before. Mm-hmm. It's it's he's working it all out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, but then the, sorry, sorry, sorry no, just thinking that Jesus spent a lot of time in close contact with Gentiles. So they yeah, Peter not really picked that up till now, did he though? The, or was the, it the unclean? So the the bit for the Gentiles would be in the Gospels. Um, it's the second feeding of the 5,000, which is the, the 4,000. The, the implication of that is normally that it's Gentiles, uh, partly because the numbers picked up are, are Gentile numbers, so it's seven baskets and, and so on. So, yeah, it does. It kind of makes you think, wait a minute, how come Peter never realised that? And he went into the centurion's house to heal his daughter. Did he? Did he Did not he? heal Did them he not at a distance? Send, yeah, oh, they didn't need to get, he didn't need to go yeah. in. Yeah. And then I think, and I'm not saying you think this, Jen, but I think I get confused sometimes because I assume people at the Samaritans fall yeah. into that category, but they wouldn't, would they? They would be a sect that was an unclean group of people to be with. But they're still kind of Jewish because they're when Jewish. they... Yeah, they're, 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 they're yeah. part of the, the, the Hebraic... Or at least they're not Gentiles. Uh-huh, they're not Gentile. And maybe that's the thing about... So it's the thing when Jesus crosses the lake into the region of the Ten Towns, normally that's understood to be Gentile, but... yes. Yes. It's not specifically so. It's not named. Yes. Um, anyway, so Peter then, yeah, yeah there's, this, this, there's this outbreak of, of um, speaking in tongues, presence of the Spirit. You talked about the second Pentecost thing there. That's from verse yeah. 44 through. And then they're baptised. <laughs> so yeah. very quickly. No classes. <laughs> very quickly. They're, they're part of the family, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And then there's a bit of a reckoning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it follows on. So, I mean, for, first of all, we've we've just I think we've got to we've got to note the power of this moment. But partly, it it shows the expanding embrace of God. It, this is something that John Stott talks about again and again, isn't it? That there's no one that God doesn't call to mm. bring in, and here is the the great missionary movements of the of, of the 
19th century, the 20th century, this sense that, that God has his God's people. I just love it. I, I just, it always makes me think that the, the boundaries of our churches are, are too firmly yeah. enclosed as to what kind of people would go in. And this will set, the, this is the great genius of, of Christian faith, that it's a, it's a faith for all. Uh, and that's going to have profound implications in the next few hundred years. Mm-hmm. But I, do, I, I like the, I like the confrontation with the the Jewish believers, because there's space for conversation. They mm. they don't they say you went into the house of the Gentiles, you ate with them. We could put any tone of voice in that on it, couldn't we? It's an understandable statement. It's the same statement that Peter said to God when he saw the vision. But there's space for Peter. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Mm. <laughs> and we don't, we so often in our topics that might be connected, you could easily connect with this kind of thing, you know, is, is God showing us a different way? Um, we don't we don't let people speak uh-huh. and, and share the whole story. We're like, oh no, no, but this, 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 this. Uh-huh. I'm sure we've all been in situations, I know of many, uh, when I've been sort of Bible verses have been thrown at me. Mm-hmm. metaphorically, um, because I dared to say something that was slightly different from the rest of the people in the room, mm-hmm. rather than saying, oh, well, start from the beginning, Jane. Tell us the mm-hmm. whole story. How did you get mm-hmm. here? And maybe if we had more of that approach in our churches, mainly, mm-hmm. um, we'd, we'd, we'd hear from God better if we listened to each other better. We had a, a thing recently where someone got baptized. Was I talking about this in the last podcast? Uh, it was someone who'd come to faith in um, in another church, but had originally grown up in ours and wanted to be baptized. So they got baptized in the River Tay. It was fantastic. But um, I said it'd be nice to hear their story. A few weeks later, earlier, they had been at a, a young person's camp and someone involved in the camp had asked them to share their testimony. So it meant that when I came to say, would you share the story? I thought I was maybe going to interview them. She produced on her phone her story, a bit like what you're talking about here, and told it to the whole church. Mm. And it struck me in my almost six years here, I've never, I think, done that in a morning service where someone's Mm -hmm. just stood up and given their testimony. And this story here makes me think, we should be doing this far Mm. more often. Mm -hmm. And this person was only ready to do that but was more than ready to do it eventually because they'd been asked to do it in a children's camp. Yeah. yeah. And we've How we've powerful. got stuck we've got stuck on testimony sometimes as purely being a this is what I was, then I met Jesus, this is what I am. Which mm. there's a place for that. But testimony is is just story, isn't it? Yes. It, it, so it's sharing your story now of what God's done or something you've been struggling with or because Peter here is telling a story a story of an encounter with God that's just happened. It's not his whole backstory. So the place of story, sharing our stories, is for everyone, wherever mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. with Jesus and how long or short we've been following him. And this story here, you know, you talk about the, the classic story, I was a really bad person and then Jesus changed my life around. The story here is, I used to think there was a certain group of people who were outside the possibility of God. And my story is that God has told me that they are now in. And, and you can see the implications of that Um that this then becomes a church in which it's international. This is the, this is the great, this is going to be the great controversy that Paul's going to hit. Who can belong to the church? Is it just Jews, or does it apply to to everyone? And it's that Paul effectively says that the gospel he uses this phrase in Galatians. The gospel is the good news that that all belong, that mm. that all are brought in as they are. What's also interesting, 
course, in Galatians, is that Peter's going to slip back from this. Yeah. Yes, on. it's interesting that, isn't it? There's that. Yes, he he, he doesn't having he, he's transformed, but then he yeah slips yeah. And there's yeah. some things we always struggle with, isn't it? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And get confused and, and misunderstood. I was thinking about the the power of story as well. You know, talking about testimony, the, the power of a persuasive story mm. to yeah. to to bring yeah. solutions to to questions. Yeah. Yes, the, I I was at a, a a thing where someone stood up recently. We were discussing. A difficult issue. It was um, end of life in assisted dying. That that whole thing that people were having to discuss, and somebody said, um, "We can't just have anecdotes on this." And I was thinking, "No, we we've got to have both. You've got to have, um, st- you've got to have powerful stories. I think dismissing them as anecdotes is a bit dismissive anyway. But you've got to have story, but you've got to align it then to theology and ethics. So all of you them do. have got to be brought yeah. together." If you have the ethic ethical principles without the story, then it becomes dry law. But if you have the story but don't connect it to a wider principle, then you only have kind of subjectivism. You've got yeah. to have both. Well, I mean, I would agree with that person, I think. But I, I think you're right, Neil, that it, it's going to be both. It's, yes. it's just weird. Yeah, totally. and, and actually, that's not really what I meant either when I, when right. I said a persuasive story. I don't mean a persuasive anecdote. I mean... I mean, you're articulating the story of what God is doing. Yeah, yeah. No, is I... is the way that people change. No, sorry, sorry. What... So I don't, I don't mean, you know, oh, because Peter told his story. Yeah. So what's the difference? What's the difference between? Well, I, th- an I think what, I think where you story... went to with it was to quite specific niche examples of, of people's um, experience of something. Whereas I think what I'm talking about is 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 Peter is able to articulate what has happened to him. What he believes God has has um, how he believes God has spoken to him, and and the, the aftermath of that with Cornelius, in such a way that that it makes sense of events. Do you think that just sounds the same? No, I'm thinking about what. <laughs> no, I, that was no, a very direct question. No, no, I, you know. So, it, so when I'm talking about persuasive story, I'm talking about how we how we articulate what God is doing, and and how life can be different. Yeah. Yes. I th- I'm, it's making me think of uh, my friend Carolyn, who lives in Croatia and has been involved in the Balkans since the, the war in the 90s. And she works for a, an ecumenical women's... She, she runs an ecumenical women's movement to bring healing uh, amongst the Balkan nations and between different gr- groups of people. And I th- there's a huge amount of work they do, but one of the things is, is that storytelling of of not just we did this, this is what we did, but we did this and this is how it brought healing and this is how it brought yes. peace. And we can yeah. live differently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I mean. I'm I still pondering your question. Well. What's the difference? So I think part of what happened was somebody told what for them was quite a moving story. And then someone else stood up and said, and described it as anecdote. And I think immediately categorizing what the story had been before as anecdote almost thinned it out in a way, which I didn't think was fair. Oh, but, in, in your example? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, no, I wasn't I wasn't picking holes in your example. I, I was just saying I'm not sure that that's what I was talking about, though, when I was saying he tells a persuasive story. I think he's, I, he, he shows a different way of being from how they have been previously uh-huh, uh-huh. through the power of how, how that he articulates that. I'm trying to I'm trying to respond to your question. Have I just said the same thing? Which and I'm trying to think why they're different. I don't think they are the same. I think somebody. I think people are trying to make. Peter is making connections. Isn't he? He's trying to answer the question: Where is God here? 
Yeah. He's not also, he's not just saying, here's a nice story about how I got changed. Isn't that nice? He's also saying six of the other people were here. They were all part of it with me. You can go and talk to them as well. It's owned corporately. It's, it's richer. I'm just trying to work out why it's richer. I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just trying to work out why yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. But the response is beautiful, isn't it? When they heard this, they didn't object anymore and they praised God and they got it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we don't have time to, to delve into this, but, but this passage is hugely significant, isn't it, in how we think about our, our fixed idea of who God is and how he works and what he, how he operates, who is included, you know, and, and, and we could cite numerous examples of that, but it is a, it's, a, it's quite a salutary passage, I think. Mm -hmm. And praying is a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. It might change you completely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it makes me think, God, what's the thing that's in my sheet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Would that be our takeaway question for all of us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. It might be. Because it, it's tempting to go, isn't that nice? They sorted it all out back then, and now, we, now we're sorted. And there's stuff that, that is, well, I have an idea where those some of those prejudices might lie and God needs to sort them out. Of course, there'll be some I don't have an idea about. I th I've just been struck with that. We, the few words at the end there when the Jewish Christians respond to Peter's story and they say, God did this so that they, so that they could live. It's, mm. it's back to that life mm -hmm. thing, isn't it? Again, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not just, oh, oh, it's nice, we're all in this together now. MD can come in. It, it's, it's to everybody's lives can be transformed. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Well, we've scratched the surface. It's all huge, isn't it? <laughs> of where we could have gone. We've scratched yeah. the surface and yeah, the time is the time is up. Um thank you both. Jen, before we finish, what's the Jen? What's the Jen? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Gen? Your guide to current thinking. Uh, some research from Dr Ruth Perrin, who is at Durham University. And a few years ago, she did some work with teenagers and their developing faith. Um, the link will be in the show notes. So I want to do this fairly quickly. But interestingly, um, she looked at what things had happened to them as teenage Christians and what helped them to keep going. And the first one was um, that wrestling with difficult issues um, helped them to keep having a faith that kept going. Um, and, and I just think that ties in so well with Peter on the roof with a big sheet full of uh, animals he didn't think he could eat. Um, and then being exposed to other people's point of view and other beliefs as teenagers really helped them keep going in their faith as adults. And lastly, they needed to know that doubts could be expressed and questions asked, eh, but really that had to happen within intergenerational relationships. It keeps coming back, doesn't it? I don't choose these <laughs> because they say the right things. They just happen to say them. And she said we should be encouraging middle-aged and elderly people that teenagers and millennials really want to be with them and they want to be their friends. I thought that was lovely. And so they can have these conversations about doubts and questions. Brilliant. So it's, it's, it's a nice wee short summary in the link I've sent Fiona so that Fantastic. it won't take long to read. Fantastic. That's Ruth Perrin. Thank you so much. Thank you both very much for joining us. Next time we're back with Paul and Barnabas at the church in Antioch and that's Acts chapter 11 
verse 19 through to 12, 24. Join us then. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.